We are in the book of Revelation again, coming into uh, the trumpet judgments, the second series of judgments in the book of Revelation. And so because of that, these are judgments. This is a really heavy passage. This week and next week, just heads up, warning. Very heavy. Also, though, as everywhere in the Bible, also full of hope for us. So I pray that you uh, would be, uh, that we would be meditative and really thinking about what God is telling us in these passages. Um, but ultimately, I hope that it will help all of us to look uh, and to trust and to lean even harder into Jesus. So, and that's the point. So if you would please stand. Uh, if you are able, we're going to read from the first, the first four trumpet judgments, from the seven trumpet judgments in Revelation uh, 8, verses 6 through 12. This is God's inerrant word. And now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and, those, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light became darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Please be seated. You see how heavy that is? There's like no let up in there whatsoever as you just read through it. <clears throat> I had, the, I, had uh, I had the good fortune of growing up in the golden age of disaster movies. I don't know uh, how far back you all go, but I, I remember, and I don't know why she did this, but my grandmother, when I was 11 years old, packed me and my friend up in a car and drove us from Encinitas down to San Diego, because Encinitas didn't have any movie theaters back then, so that we could see... Earthquake, the original Earthquake movie, 1974. Does anybody even, do any of y'all remember that movie at all? Some of you guys do, yeah. Bonnie, Bonnie, you're always with me. Uh, awesome, awesome movie, followed quickly by a towering inferno, Poseidon Adventure, uh, Airport 1975, and then really the age of disaster movies came into the golden era in the 90s and the 2000s when movies like uh, Deep Impact, 1998, an 11-kilometer uh, uh, comet is pummeling towards the earth, and we have to save the earth from disaster. Uh, Armageddon, the great movie Armageddon, also 1998, where a meteor the size of Texas is pummeling towards the earth, and so we have to round up the best miners, blue-collar miners, and send them onto the asteroid with some nukes so that we can save the planet. Uh, and then uh, in the 2000s, we really started to up the game. 2012, about the ending of the Mayan calendar and a series of uh, just meteorological and weather and, and uh, 
natural disasters that could completely destroy the earth. Uh, and then maybe my new favorite is San Andreas, which only came out a few years ago about in all of California just flying into the ocean, right? Happy ending. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> I love, 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 love me a good disaster movie. I, I just don't even know why people, like the movies that are like all about like the irony and, 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 and anxiety of life. I don't even, why do people watch those movies? I have, that's my life. I have tons of anxiety and I... Why would I want to watch a movie about what I struggle with every day, right? So I want to see straight-up disaster. I want to see entire, like, continents destroyed. That, that's a good movie. Amen? Y'all with me? Okay. But as much as I love a good disaster movie, Hollywood is no friend to us when we try to interpret the book of Revelation. <laughs> and do you know Why? Because, because of Hollywood, because of Armageddon, because of Deep Impact, because of those movies, it's almost impossible to read this passage and not think in your mind, giant asteroid on fire hitting the earth. Am I, am I, not, am I lying? When I read the passage, is that what you were thinking? Asteroid, here it comes. We got to get a bunker. We got to get a bunch of food together. We got to get some ammunition. We got to get ready because the asteroid and the comet are coming and they're going to hit the earth. <laughs> Well, uh, man, there's a whole cottage industry that has grown up over the last century, really, of revelation as disaster science fiction movie cottage industry. You can look it up on the internet. Uh, but remember, when we, first, when we started, we started going into the vision sequences. I took a whole sermon just to talk about what the symbolic visions were. Uh, and part of that was they're not premonitions of, of literal future historic events. Um, uh, and they're also, uh, the big takeaway from those, sermon, that, those first couple of sermons was that it does not matter at all. And I know this is going to be offensive, but it doesn't matter at all what your 21st century hyper-rational disaster movie influence minds think this means. It's interesting, makes great movies, that's where they get the ideas for these movies, really, uh, or at least it's lurking in the background. But what matters, the, what really matters is what the ancient Hebrew audience would have thought when they heard it. And they wouldn't have been thinking Bruce Willis, they wouldn't have been thinking blue-collar mining crew, they wouldn't have been thinking nuclear arms, they wouldn't have been thinking none of that, they would have been thinking what they understood from their culture being steeped in the prophetic record of the Old Testament. That's what matters. And to the Old Testament world, as they were reading this, they would have thought one thing. They would have thought this is God Almighty overthrowing world powers and having complete control over nature and doing it. And so the big idea of, that, of this passage for us, too, is this, that God destabilizes our false hopes in order to separate the sheep from the goats. God destabilizes our false hopes to separate the sheep from the goats. That's the big idea of this passage. And I'm going to explain what that means. Let's talk about it one little part at a time. First, that God destabilizes the creation. 
Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but you know how gas prices, they go like sky high one day and then they drop down to a dollar at a time and they go up and down and up and down. I always thought that was because of the scarcity of gas or, you know, different economic supply and demand features. Maybe, probably, I don't know. But somebody told me once, you know what that is? I'm going to get a little conspiracy theory right here, but it's a good, it, it works, the illustration works, okay, so work with me, work with me. A friend of mine told me, or somebody I knew told me, what that is, it is the oil powers, or the United States, destabilizing the Soviet Union and China. Russia has a lot of gas, so when they want to destabilize the Russians, they drop the price way down, it destabilizes their economy. When we want to destabilize China, we jack, up or jack the prices up really high because they consume a lot of fuel, they need a lot of fuel. And so really the price fluctuation that we're seeing is the powers that be destabilizing economies and making things difficult uh, for them. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, right? I hope it's true because it's cool. If it, it's, it's like one of those conspiracy theories that you're like, wow, that's crazy how the world is like that. Maybe not, but you get the illustration. It is destabilizing. Great powers causing destabilization in, in, in cultures and societies. If you were an ancient Hebrew, if you were going to be thinking about that concept of being destabilized, you would immediately think of the great, maybe the greatest destabilization that ever happened to a world power in their history, which was... Seminarians help me out. Egypt. God, the exodus of Egypt and the plagues that God rained down upon Egypt, totally destabilizing their culture. So first rule is this. Ancient Israelites would have been seeing all of these plagues, these disasters through that lens of the plagues on Egypt. And in fact, there's like one-to-one -one correspondence in here. Hail, hail, fire, blood. Uh, Water to blood, water to blood. There's all, there's very clear Exodus connections that are brought into this. But the bigger idea is the idea of destabilization. So let me run, I'm going to run you through quickly, as quickly as I can, the first three trumpets. This is going to be a little dense. Like Norman promised the other day in his sermon, first point's going to be a little dense, but it's important. I got to prove to you guys that this is not an asteroid. Because if you keep thinking it's an asteroid, you're not going to get the beauty of the passage, all right? So work with me. I'm going to be as fast as I can. It's a little bit dense. Second and third points will be a little easier, okay? Ready? Let's take a deep breath. Okay. First trumpet. Hail and fire mixed with blood. This is, relates to the Exodus uh, plague of hail coming from the sky. Uh, fire in the Old Testament, we've talked about this, it represents judgment, God in, his in, in the eternal heavens, created all in fire, fire coming down to earth, uh, the fire of judgment. So this speaks of fire, and the blood speaks of catastrophic loss of life, and the sphere of creation that this is affecting is the sky and the earth. And the result of it is a catastrophic failure of, of, the, of, of uh, trees, grass, uh, agriculture. This is indicative of, a, of environmental disaster affecting land and agriculture and food growth and, 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 and commerce. Second, second trumpet, something like a great mountain burning with fire. That's obviously the asteroid, right? It's got to be the asteroid, right? 
Well, the fire, fire is easy, right? Fire is judgment. But the mountain, the mountain in the Old Testament, if you were in Old Testament Hebrew, you talk about a mountain. They're not thinking asteroid. They're thinking world power. They're thinking especially Babylon, one of the great world powers that came against Israel. Because, why? In Jeremiah, that's how God talks about kingdoms. Listen to Jeremiah. This is what he says in 25. This is God speaking. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, talking to Babylon, declares the Lord, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hands against you. I will roll you down from the crags, and I will make you into a burning mountain. That's what they would have thought when they saw this. So it's a picture of God's judgment on evil empires of the world, and God throwing those those, those evil empires, those evil nations depicted or imaged as Babylon into the sea. And as part of that judgment, there is catastrophe among the sea, the sea creatures, and the commerce of the sea. More environmental disaster, economic disaster that follows, or hardship at the very least, right? Third trumpet, and this one's a little more complex. The third trumpet, a great star burning like a torch, hits the earth, third of the waters. So what is it? Uh, a great star, we already know from Revelation, that the, great, the stars of Revelation are almost always depicted as great angels, burning like a torch. Now that might be seraphim, it might mean the nature of angels burning like fire, However, this one is being cast to earth, so more likely the image is of a great angel in, on fire with the judgment of God being cast down to the earth. Is there any picture in the Bible that we can relate that to? It's a picture of a great angel that sinful world kingdoms are related to God throwing and judging Satan down upon the earth. The sphere of creation that it hits is, is water. The water is turned bitter. And here's how we know what this is talking about, because it names the star. It says the star's name is Wormwood. In the Old Testament, uh, particularly in Jeremiah, God talks about Wormwood and waters being bitter. But in Jeremiah, when he talks that way, he's not talking about a spring that was polluted or a river, it's metaphorical language, talking about just the general suffering uh, of God's people, or the general suffering of the earth. And more importantly, it's talking about um, the wormwood. Jeremiah is a metaphor for suffering that's caused by Israel's idolatry. People are spiritually suffering from the waters of life being polluted by idolatrous and false leaders and false prophets. And in that bitterness, in that suffering, uh, people are suffering. And that's put together also with the idea of the physical catastrophes and the physical curses and plagues upon the earth causing people to die. And so people suffered and people died because of the spiritual and physical pollution upon the earth. Okay, earth, sea, spirit, the spheres that are under judgment. World kingdoms, the satanic majesty, Satan, the deceiving angel, um, 
causing economic disaster, causing environmental disaster, causing spiritual pollution and disaster upon the earth. All of those things, right? Now, whenever there's a giant hurricane or uh, an, outbreak, an outbreak of a new disease uh, or a great famine somewhere, the news media will always, like, 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 they will search, they will comb through the church trying to find some sort of fringe crackpot theologian or pastor who will get them to say what they want, which when they ask the question, is this God's judgment upon these people? And they always manage to find somebody that says yes, and then they, of course, promote that and on the headlines to make us all look crazy. And then we as Christians, we backpedal away from that. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what he meant. We don't believe that. And we basically, what we do is we put ourselves into a position where we say all natural disasters, uh, all suffering on the world is theologically neutral. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Revelation says. The problem with that crackpot theologian is he's thinking way too small. And he's thinking pharisaical. He's saying, yes, this particular judgment was on this targeted group of extra, especially bad sinners. And that usually is of some protected class, and then people make a big deal out of it. They're thinking too small. The real, the real answer is that the targeted class of sinner is humanity. Humanity. And that God is working in and through on such a much bigger scale such a bigger scale. And why does he do that? Why is he doing that? To destabilize us. Tower of Babel, people get together. They don't want to spread out. They don't want to do what God said. They want to get together and build a tower to heaven. God comes down and disperses them, destabilizes them. Throughout the whole history of the Bible, throughout the whole history of the church age, God is destabilizing aggressive rebellious world powers that stand in defiance against him. And why would he do that? Why would a God of love do that? And the reason is, number two, because God is destabling, destabilizing the creation because our false hopes are in created things. Number two, our false hopes are in created things. The Egyptian exodus was pretty straightforward, right? The Egyptians had all natural powers, had a god assigned to the natural power. And so it was really straightforward and obvious to the Egyptians. You destroy or you disrupt the natural cycle, which meant you had power and you had a power to disrupt the god over that cycle. Therefore, the one true god, the god of the Hebrews, was the true god. Only worship him, only trust in him, not these lower powers. They're all under his control. Easy. <laughs> but for us, it's not so easy because we're complicated. Well, we're at a point in history where uh, there are nature, natural forces are all completely explained by natural forces. There are no gods behind them. Not only that, uh, there's really uh, no greater god over all of those gods to disrupt anything. Uh, there's no God above. There's no little gods controlling nature. There's nothing. There's just random, blank, neutral, arbitrary 
nature, and so it has been completely stripped of any type of meaning. Physical meaning, moral meaning, it just is. Uh, and the, what's the problem? What happens when we, when creation and created order are then stripped of the notion of God, when nature and natural, environmental, and economic disasters and everything that this is talking about are stripped of their ultimate meaning, or it has nothing to do with God, do you know what we get? We get Greta Thunberg, who is railing with anger and frustration to solve a problem, which is humanity's pillaging of the earth. That's true. And yet the, her solution is humanity. Railing in anger and frustration, trying to solve the problem with the problem. It's intractable. It, 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 it leads to despair and hopelessness and frustration and anger and, 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 and hatred. And you know what else we get? We get romantic sunsets. Uh, sunset is the epitome of the romantic event, right? You want to really, like, get down and score some points with your wife. You grab her and you take her up to Mount Helix or to Sunset Cliffs, and you watch the sunset together, right? I mean, culturally, wide, worldwide, the sunset is a beautiful display of random nature at work. It's beautiful, and we can sit there and enjoy its beauty. And then afterwards, we get to get in our warm cars and head to fancy restaurants or our houses where there is electricity and warmth and light, and it's completely dis detached from the reality of that sunset. In the ancient world, when you couldn't go home and turn the lights on, when you saw the sunset, you saw beauty, but what you saw was fading beauty. You saw the vestiges of light. You saw the remnant of God's presence in the world slowly disintegrating and being overtaken by darkness. And that's the fourth trumpet. Let me read it again. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. You see, if you're thinking asteroid and comet, you totally miss the whole point and you'll think that there's a dimmer switch on the sun and that God is going to like snuff out a third of the stars. <sighs> That's silly. Please don't think that. All throughout the Old Testament, there's pick God uses this language whenever his people or the world in general is in a pattern of rejecting more and more truth and falling into patterns of retractable, irretractable sin and hardness of heart. It's not, it's not the sun and the moon that are going to be dimmed. It's spiritual darkness. It's even intellectual darkness coming upon the land. It's not total yet, but it's diminished, a third of the light. 
a third of our capacity to intelligently reason, a third of our capacity to morally reason is becoming undone. It's why it's so hard for us as a culture who have essentially completely bought into materialist evolution. That means evolution without any, any divine reality behind it. Having stripped God completely out of our culture, out of our reasoning, both intellectually and morally, why it's so difficult for us to say as a culture that it's not okay to kill babies and that men are men and women are women and other struggles that we have as a culture it's because we have been darkened. The world we live in has been darkened. And God destabilizes us, destabilizes all the little things that we trust in to distract our minds from the reality of God, destabilizes us to break us from those patterns of hoping and trusting in these little false things. And that's the big point. That was the point for the Egyptians. That was the point for us. The message of the trumpets is that there is a growing spiritual darkness over the nations, and we are watching it like a sunset. We can still see the last remaining vestiges of the beauty and the witness of God and light in the world, but it's fading. And soon, the real story is, someday it will fade, the sun will go down, and it will come into pitch black. So all these things that the world thinks are victories, it's the fourth judgment. It's God allowing the world their desires, which create sin and pain and darkness of mind, and allowing people to run in it. It's not victories. It's God's judgment on us, our culture, our world, our nation, the church. Whenever you see a church even, this, goes, this, this passage is speaking not just to those outside the world, but those inside the church who have completely sold out and are, and are rather than suffering under persecution to witness for God, have instead embraced the lies of the world in order to be safe and thus showing themselves, showing their true colors. And so whenever we see in the church people embracing things that are clearly anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-biblical, we can know what that is. It's the darkness. It's the sunset. And God in his mercy is destabilizing us. God in his mercy is waking, trying to wake the world, giving the world every opportunity to see the big, big, big idea. It is utter, utter foolishness, utter foolishness to trust in any created temporary thing. It is utter foolishness to create or to trust in anything other than God. And the more we do it, the darker our minds become. It's God's mercy. The last part. 
The last part is he is separating the sheep from the goats. I know this is super heavy. He's separating the sheep from the goats. I love trees. Love trees. As much as I love disaster movies, I love trees. I get mad when they get cut down. For real. Me and, uh, me and Sammy were walking around the block the other day. We ran across this tree a block away. 1877. A fig tree. It's a historical monument. If you go six blocks up on the corner of Laurel and Six, there's a big tree. I, I call it the Tree of Life because it looks like it's been there forever. It's so big. Trees are like this silent witness of eternal glory where they are, they just, you know, they just stand there and you know they've been there. You know, me and Sammy are talking about trouble, you know, and we were thinking about this tree. This tree has been there for generations of people, standing witness. Generations of people have had trouble and it made our trouble not seem so big, right? We took a family vacation to the Sierras. We saw a tree that was 3,000 years old. It was a baby tree at the time of King David. It was a full-grown tree at the time of Jesus. You just look at it, and it has, it, 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 it shines and illuminates your mind to the eternal glory of God who created that tree. And it's just standing there as a witness. It's been there 3,000 years. That's where my mind goes when I see a tree. I love trees, right? But we have, and we think, wow, you know, we're so sophisticated. We're so smart. We have science. We can, like, decode the genetic nature of every tree. We can understand intricately the workings of trees and seeds, and we can dice, slice and dice the biology of a tree to its smallest increments, and yet to understand intimately the workings of a tree without seeing the tree's creator and the purpose is utter darkness. And there's a pattern in that. There's a pattern in that that sometimes the hard reality is the more truth we're exposed to, the harder we get to it. The more truth we're exposed to, the more we can actually use that truth in the cleverness of our minds and the hardness of our hearts and use that very truth to deny the reality of God. How could you look at a tree and not see the glory of God? And we do it all the time. We specialize in that kind of stuff. So we think, we think that we can expose people to truth and they'll respond to it. And uh, you tell an American, you know, as Americans, we're really into that, right? Especially even in the gospel ministry. You cannot tell an American you can't save somebody. We'll come up with every, we'll come up with all kinds of ideas. Altar calls, sinner's prayer. Uh, we'll come up with like factories. And I used to run one at a giant church of how we can, in our human power, make people accept the gospel and get saved. The Bible doesn't talk like that outside of the spirit, illuminating us from the inside, we're in the sunset. It's darkness. I got to figure out how to shut that alarm off. <laughs> now you know I'm going over time though, right? So give me, give me five more minutes. Five minutes. It's five minutes. <laughs> listen, listen, Mer Mer uh, Moses, Moses and Pharaoh. It's, we, we read in the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We're like, wow, that doesn't seem fair. But what did God do? 
What did God do, to, what did, what did God do through Moses to Pharaoh? God, Moses shows up, he speaks truth. I'm here to represent the one true God. You must let our people go in the wilderness to worship him. And when that didn't work, he started sending destabilizing disasters to prove that he was the one true God. And the more truth Moses spoke, the more truth God gave in those natural disasters, the more Pharaoh turned his heart and his wicked will and his pride away from the reality of God and believed his own reality instead. And that's a hard, hard truth. And that is that truth on its own is not able to break people out of hardness of heart. In fact, it often is the element that creates it. <sighs> sad. Wow, that's sad. Let me give you a sneak peek of what happens next. And we'll talk about this next week, but I want you to see in chapter 9, verse 20. If you've got your Bible open, you can look at it. If not, listen. After these trumpet judgments, this is what it says. And the rest of mankind, who were not killed by the plagues, so everybody who wasn't killed, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up the worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and cars and houses and wealth and bank accounts and careers and sex, and drugs, and fame, and power, which cannot see, or hear, or walk. Man. Everybody. Because of the hardness of our hearts, because of the depths of the nature of the fall, because of the power of the corruption and the power of the dark forces that are working upon us can't break out of it. So if that's true, and it is, what can possibly be the hope of the world? If even divinely orchestrated natural disasters of biblical proportions cannot shake us, out of the darkness of our hearts, what possibly can? And there's only one answer. There's only one thing that possibly can. Listen, let's go back now. Rewind the movie back to the Revelation 7, chapters, chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. It says this. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. That's Jesus, in case you're wondering. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm the earth and the sea, what we've just been talking about, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Until, before any of this happened, God put his seal upon his people. We see it in Exodus, right? In Exodus, same, the model of this, the picture that God wove into history so that we could better understand what he's talking about here. God's people, they slaughtered a perfect and perfect lamb, the Passover lamb. They took the blood of that lamb and they sealed the outside of the door of their houses and everyone with that seal lived and the disasters avoided them. That's the picture for us. Jesus is our Passover lamb. 
Jesus is our Savior. We are sealed and have been sealed with his blood from before the foundation of the earth. And because of that, as disasters come, as economic insecurities come, as natural disasters take their course, as we go through hardship, as we are in the suffering of the world, we know one thing, one thing that makes it tolerable, that makes it us able to go through it with joy. And that is we know that God's seal has been placed upon us, and because of that, our faith will not break. Our faith will not break. Your car might break. Your house is going to break. Your relationship is going to break. Over and over again. The economy is going to break. Your 501k is going to break. What's not going to break is your faith. And your faith guarantees your seat in heaven when all this is done and over with. Think about that. Your faith, if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, you can say in your heart, honestly, I believe Jesus was a historical figure who lived and died and that God, he was God in the flesh who was crucified for my sins and I am forgiven because of what he's done. You can't have that other than supernaturally. God has given you that as part of sealing you in the blood of Jesus. And if that's true of you, that is the manifest evidence that the darkness will not settle upon you, that it can't take over your life. It can hit you, but it won't overtake you. God has promised that we can enjoy the sunset as much as we can and know that the sunrise is coming, that after the darkness there'll be a new day and a new age of perfection and beauty and light. We will be transformed into creatures that if we saw us now, we would be tempted to worship us. And it'll be like that for us forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.